It is subverting our industry's relationship with the public. It has enabled a cesspool of corruption and an ocean of fraud. It places personal and private information about us within the reach of criminals, governments, and other potential malefactors. It has devalued the work of legitimate online publishers. It is degrading our news media and journalism. It is distrusted by marketers, and it is despised by the public. Other than that, it's great. Hello, and welcome to Silence Please, the podcast where Bob Hoffman inspires us in the online advertising industry to take a long, hard look in the mirror and ask, do we like what we see? Big Brother has arrived, and he's us. In this episode, we'll be discussing tracking. On the 25th of May this year, the European Union is bringing in a new law, the General Data Protection Regulation, or the GDPR. This law is designed to stop advertising companies using people's data without their explicit consent. The fine for breaching this new law will be either €20 million or 4% of your annual turnover. Today, we'll be looking at the use of tracking in our industry and how it relates to this new law. Joining us in this conversation are Celine Satanina, Chief Commercial Officer at Total Media, Rihanna Francis, Senior Digital Executive at The Specialist Works, and lastly, we have my partner in crime, Ollie Henderson, the other owner of Silence Media. So, we'll get to the GDPR in a bit. But first, what is tracking and why do we use it? Ollie. Tracking has existed since the early days of the internet. It's a way of monetizing content which people might not otherwise be willing to pay for. People have used it for both positive and negative means. I think the most positive experience, the one we're all familiar with, is you visiting a website, looking at some products, and then coming back later and that website usefully remembering those products for you. The more challenging aspects are the fact that this data is being sold to third parties who might want to use it, for example, to advertise to you. And these are the areas which people are less comfortable with. It's essentially having given up our right to privacy for a free internet. And how is it that our industry has become so dependent on tracking? Rihanna? I think it's the need to be more cost efficient. I think we get that a lot from our clients. You know, it's all about money, return on investment. When you look at buying media through a specific site, um, whether it's, you know, The Guardian or The Independent, you're paying high premiums for them and you're kind of limiting yourself to that audience. So in order to reach a particular audience as opposed to just a site we have to use this sort of tracking to build that picture of our audience what are they interested in where are they across the web Celine what are the biggest challenges that you face when you're trying to understand people through their digital data points the biggest challenge is um, reliability of data there's obviously been a lot in the press about Facebook in particular and their overstatement of audiences. But cookie deletion is also fairly common now. So if an average lifespan of a cookie was 30 days, it's much less now. I don't know if to my head what the new cookie deletion percentages are, but they'll be high and they, I expect they'll be higher after GDPR. So I think in summary, it's probably just the reliance of the data and how accurate it is and, and also being able to pair different sets of data together because a lot exists within the wall gardens of Google or Facebook or Amazon and then being able to take that and to extrapolate that out to a different environment is challenging. So if the provenance of the data is tricky to prove, does that mean that you then always have to test the data because it's based on inference? 
we definitely have a testing strategy, but also we're increasingly uh, relying on our ability to use client first party data to enrich what we're doing within an online environment. And obviously that will change with GDPR as well. There'll certainly be new restrictions and additional permissions we need to be able to do that sort of thing. But being able to at least identify customers and non-customers is a goes a long way to sort of verifying um, sort of different data points that exist elsewhere. Ollie. There's this idea in our industry that we should be striving for the perfectly personalised advertising experience which we can achieve through cookies. What does this mean and is it even true? I think the idea of a perfectly personalised ad is the culmination of this idea that we can understand somebody through their previous online behaviour and then infer what they may be interested in and ultimately what they might be interested in buying. I think the issue with it, first of all, is, I think Celine touched on it, the fact that um, data is being collected across so many different channels and by so many different providers sometimes makes getting a single view on a customer quite difficult. Therefore, sometimes the assumption that you can personalise an ad based on someone's behaviour is is a tricky one because it's very difficult to um, understand the full picture about their personality and their interests. I think the other issue is actually people's behaviour when they know that data is being collected. There's a study in the Harvard Business Review which suggested that when people give up the data on, on a first-party basis and they're told that the data that's being used to target the advertising is from this website, as in the website they're on, they are pretty much happy with that. They see the value exchange. They can I see that there's a relevant ad makes the experience better. However, when they were told that the data was collected by a third party, it significantly reduced the effectiveness of the campaign and also their willingness to um, even receive that data. My other issue, I suppose, with the perfectly personalised ad is the assumption that I even know my intent. It suggests that by my previous behaviour, it can guess what my intent is to buy a particular product. Well, frankly, day to day, I don't know what I want to buy and what I'm going to do. So the idea that a machine can do that is a little ridiculous. You know, I think it's a great ideal, but actually in execution, I'm not sure how frequently we as an industry get it right. There are a few examples, though, of personalisation where you take it so far that work really well. And I think Channel 4 obviously introduced um, their sort of personalisation of VOD of activity. One of the nicest examples is the use of the name in one of the TV shows, which was a horror film. And I think that works really well from a shock factor, but mm. there's only certain environments where that works really well. Yes, I have been on Channel 4's website and I've been served ads that are personalised because they use my name, Hayley, and it does get your attention, but then I think you find it a bit creepy. Hmm. What's your experience of that kind of advertising, Rihanna? Would you recommend something like that to your clients or would you worry about possibly alienating the person that you want to buy the product? I think there is that fine line between, as you say, personalisation and the creep factor, to be honest. Personalisation, especially with, I guess, mobile display advertisements, for example, serving a particular ad to a user based on their location to make that more relevant, I think that works quite well, especially if you're driving through to a particular store, you know, the user can click on the ad and it gives them the map directions. But With the Channel 4 ads, I personally find them a bit on the edge of creepiness, to be honest. 
sometimes we have to take a step back and look from a consumer perspective. I think sometimes as marketeers, we kind of have our heads in the game, I guess. That's what we do on a day-to-day. But when you speak to, you know, friends and family who aren't familiar with what goes on behind the scenes and data and things like that, and they say, oh, I've got served this ad or these shoes keep following me around, they're a bit on edge about it. Um, so, th- so this is an example, um, and Bob Hoffman references uh, Doc Sells in his book. He's a another fantastic author. He wrote a book called The Intention Economy. And he talks about this idea in robotics called the uncanny valley, which is essentially the concept that a machine can behave a bit like a human but isn't quite lifelike. So it suddenly becomes really creepy. Again, we're recording two days after The Observer broke the story about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. And unfortunately, I think most of us in the industry who are aware about how this data is collected and how it's used were not greatly surprised by that story. But to the general public, I think they're starting to awaken to the fact that we've given away this right to privacy, the right to protect ourselves from the data collection point of view. And unfortunately this data will be used to sell to others in order for people to make money. That's the truth of it. And I think we would all accept that that is a byproduct of the internet economy which we've created, which is that we've given up some of these rights in order to access the free content. I agree, but I think there's an opportunity now for everyone like the GDPR states to harvest data legitimately. I think sort of reviewing what a legitimate purpose is, is fairly fundamental because whilst I agree that there's a lot of bad within the trail of tracking, there's also a lot of good intention. Let's talk about ad blocking. In Bad Men, Bob Hoffman says that the public's disgust with online advertising has led to over 600 million web-connected devices with ad blockers. Rihanna, have you ever used ad blockers? I don't know if I should answer that question because of the industry that I work in. I have to be honest, before I joined this industry, I did use ad blockers. And that was mainly for YouTube, to be honest. YouTubers, fashion videos, beauty videos, that's all I watched. So to change from video to video and have to watch a 30-second pre-roll was really annoying to me. And that's what made me seek out an ad blocker. 30 seconds on a mobile device feels like a lifetime. You're playing a game or whatever you're doing on an app and a full-page interstitial comes up where there's a countdown. You can't blame people for taking those extremities. So I think that's why the Google Coalition for Better Ads, I think it's probably a good thing for the industry. It will allow publishers to rethink what sort of ad formats they are putting in front of users and try to create a better user experience in terms of advertising because if we didn't have advertising, I think... Bob Hoffman mentions it in the book, we wouldn't have the content that we have access to, wouldn't have it for free. All we'd have is blogs and porn, so he says, and no one likes blogs. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's a direct quote from the book. (laughs) Yeah. I think most of the evidence suggests it is intrusive ad formats or interruptive ad formats and security issues, so things like viruses and malware, which tend to drive most installs of ad blockers. We have, for a long time, sacrificed creative standards in the industry because it's cheaper to do that. And also, in some cases, with a targeted ad, you sometimes think you can compromise the creativity because you've got a better chance of reaching the right individual. As an industry, we just focus on the things which will either save money, which will keep clients happy in terms of hitting their KPIs, their key performance indicators, 
And, of course, the ultimate manifestation of that is that it's not a great experience for customers, and that's why they're switching us off. So I think it's a pretty profound challenge which we've got to face. And I do think, in many ways, we are going about it in the right way. I just think sometimes we are forced into it. GDPR is forcing the industry into considering these issues because ultimately we're terrible at self-regulating. Yeah, Selene, would you say we're going into, into a phase of soul-searching right now? That's what it feels like to me. It's very deep for advertising, soul-searching. <laughs> we're certainly entering a, a new phase of advertising. I think there are so many unknowns at the moment across the market of what the implications of GDPR will be on performance, on volume, on price it's quite scary I think for most because there's so many unanswered questions and I think um, Ollie the points you've raised around price I think are fairly fundamental because um, advertisers and agencies and you know and everyone who plays in the ecosystem have have got used to digital at a certain price and that is almost definitely going to change um, I think being able to reach a new level of normalization is going to be challenging because it affects performance, it affects benchmarks, it affects ROI at a time when there's downward pressure on budgets from an economic perspective. Um, a lot more clients have been driven to short-term strategies and have a lot more pressure on their own marketing budgets. And I think this kind of additional pressure that is definitely going to come, whether that's through just the price of inventory or through the change in performance because of the change in available cookies, is going to be an issue. It's just knowing how much of an issue that will be. Ollie, can we talk a bit more about the Harvard Business Review article that you mentioned? So when we look at targeted advertising, do you not think that actually it could be a positive thing? I get a, I get a tailor-made ad. Yes, that study shows that when people experience ads which are more relevant to them, they are more likely to respond. It's just the circumstances under which that is delivered. I mean, Amazon do this explicitly. You click on certain products and they make recommendations to you. And that seems pretty normal to us. It seems pretty normal that if we go on Amazon, we click on different products, they're going to try to recommend something which is relevant to us to buy in the future. The issue comes when you step away from Amazon and suddenly you're being served ads for products which are very like the things you've just been looking on Amazon. That study, what that shows ultimately is that the interest or the propensity for somebody to click on that ad decreases by about a third when they're told, when they're aware that that ad has been collected on one site and sold to another party. The three things that the study mentions are trust, and that's the trust of a particular website to manage your data in a responsible manner, control, giving the customers control over how that data is used, and the justification. So actually explicitly saying, we are going to use this data to make the advertising you receive more relevant. Also, it's probably worth mentioning that there's lots of data that we can use to make advertising more relevant. It doesn't just need to be third-party audience data. You know, For example, contextual targeting is GDPR compliant in that you do not need to drop cookies on people. You can analyse the words on a page, the content which people are reading about, the context within which they're browsing, and deliver an ad in real time based on that. And that's actually a very targeted way of delivering an ad. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with that because that is not breaching any issues around privacy. So I think targeting, we've probably focused very much on targeting and third-party targeting, but actually there's lots of different ways of doing it. And I think fundamentally making an ad more relevant is a good principle. Selene, do you think that unreliable targeting or mistargeting can damage a brand's reputation? 
some of the bigger issues that we have around, particularly things like retargeting strategies are one of the biggest forms of annoyance from a consumer perspective. Everyone's heard the million and one examples of the shoe that followed me around the internet or any other product. So definitely is the answer to the question. And again, we as an industry have not done ourselves any favours in terms of carefully managing either frequency or better understanding when someone's bought and when they haven't and etc. So um, yes is the answer to the question and I think again the kind of return, the movements within GDPR and return to um, Ollie's reference of context and also macro targeting, so use of whether data for instance or social data in terms of not what people have liked but what they've said, the mood that they're in etc. I think will breed a different form of advertising and it's just the extent to which that takes off and how quickly I think is a question in my mind. And the other thing that remains a big question for me is with um, GDPR obviously as an industry we are making a number of steps and changes to how we approach advertising along with how we manage our businesses and I wonder how much the general consumer is aware and educated about understanding how their data is being used, how much of a campaign there will be to help support consumer understanding at the point of GDPR I think will be really interesting to monitor and see the impact of that because that for me is a fairly fundamental question like when the cookie law came out and we changed all the cookie notifications on websites I don't know how much of a fundamental impact or how much people's understanding changed so I think it'd be very interesting to watch that Let's move on to GDPR the General Data Protection Regulation Ollie, do you feel uh, confident in explaining what this law will do to our industry? So the GDPR regulation and EU Privacy Directive come into force in May this year and essentially it's the European Union's attempt to regulate the industry and ensure that customers are put first in the exchange of data online. The fundamental principle is that customers, users, however you define them, have to give their consent to data being collected, stored and sold to others. Do you think this legislation signals the death of the cookie? as a remarketing tool. Death is very final, isn't it? I think it signals a significant reduction in the use of cookies to enable advertising. I don't think it's going to kill cookies completely um, because there will still be a level of, of volume available to us, but I think it will certainly change the level of reliance. And remarketing, I think, will shrink as a strategy, but I don't think it will die. Rihanna, what do you think? There was an article on the Exchange Wire which talked about how the cookie pool would definitely significantly reduce. And I think it was Page Fair who did a report. It wasn't the most robust, I guess, that they only included about 300 respondents. But essentially, one of the questions was, you know, if you saw this, you know, notification before you visited a website and it talked about how they were going to use your data for third-party advertising, would you agree to this? And think about 80% said no. So it's really hard to say how consumers will respond to that. And, you know, when websites have these notifications, will there just be a flurry of users who just say, no, 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 I do not want my data collected. I think that report also looked at how if it was just that website that was collecting that data, would they be happy with it? And most of them said yes. <laughs> the death of the cookie, I mean... I think we will look at other strategies, such as contextual. Um, I think that will definitely be at the forefront. But in some ways, I do feel like it's in the consumer's interest to perhaps allow 
certain publishers to collect that data just to deliver that more relevant messaging because at the end of the day, the ad space is still going to be there. So would you rather just be served really generic ads that are just not relevant to you or your interests or would you prefer to have things that are more tailored it's it's hard to say how the consumer will look at it to be honest i tend to agree with selena and rihanna i don't think it's going to disappear completely but most evidence suggests that take up of people consenting to their data being used for remarketing or to be dropped into cookie balls is pretty small somewhere between five and twenty percent of people say they would do that so I think the reality is going to be that people will cling on to the idea that the cookie can be used to benefit their campaigns. But actually, in practice, it will gradually disappear. You know, it's a fair point to say, why wouldn't people want relevant experience, relevant ads to see on the page? But as I said earlier on, I don't think that using cookies is the only way to achieve that. I think there's a principle about the way in which people are browsing the internet or looking at their phones as well which we tend to forget as an industry which is that we're not always in a buying mode and I think the difficulty with retargeting remarketing often third-party data is that we're trying to hit people at all times to drive them through to conversion to get them to buy something there and then whereas actually a lot of the time we're not really interested in that so we're all consumers around this table do you think Celine that GDPR is is good for us as consumers Yes and no, and I'm sorry that's an annoying answer. I think in many ways, yes, because as I think we've talked about through this discussion, there's a huge requirement for the digital advertising industry to clean up its acts, both in terms of format, in terms of creative execution, and in terms of pricing and the ecosystem or daisy chain effect of pricing that exists. So I think it will certainly help to improve the customer experience, but without question, that's beneficial for consumers. For me, there are still a lot of unknowns, and I know I've said that earlier in the discussion, but, you know, depending on the severity of the impact from an advertising perspective, there's potential for some publishers to actually find that if they're not making enough money from advertising, that they will then need to shift their product focus onto different revenue models, which might then mean the consumer needs to pay for things they were not used to paying for. And when that happens, I think we'll start to reevaluate the impact of GDPR on advertising and how much worth we put on the content that we receive online. I think as soon as it starts to hit the consumer's wallet is when they'll start to think again about how they want to use their data. And maybe it will democratise the use of data and everyone will start to really value their own personal data. And you'll see some of those companies that have started to pop up where you can actually sort of get a value of your own personal data. I think particularly in the US, but there's some in the uh, European markets as well. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? This idea of a value exchange. We often talk about this in our industry, that consumers need to accept that if they're going to use the internet for free, they're also going to receive advertising. But I don't know how much people really do think about that? Do you mm. think that the, the man or the woman on the street really thinks about that value exchange? Do you think it might become a shock to people when they realise the stuff they've been getting for free they're going to have to start paying for? Definitely, from my perspective, is I think the average consumer spends zero time thinking about the content they're consuming, the ads they're seeing and the monetization that sits behind that. So from my perspective, I think it will definitely come as a shock, certainly if you have to stop to pay for content. You can see evidence of that with the different paywalls that News UK have tested and some have worked and some 
famously haven't. So um, and it's quite an, a good indicator of the different audiences. So the Sun and the Times is good examples of that. I do think that in principle, as you were describing that, Celine, about people coming to realisation that they might have to pay for content again, I was thinking, well, is that such a bad thing? Again, Filter Bubble might suggest that I believe people are bothered about data much more than they are. But I think the more issues and incidents like the Cambridge Analytica one we're seeing at the moment appear in the news, the more people will be bothered by that. And I do think, again, that there isn't anything wrong with holding the industry to account and making us readdress where the value is. I think it goes back to how unique is a publisher's content because when News UK trialled it, I know me, for example, on The Sun, if they tried to block the content, I would just copy and paste the headline into Google and find it, that same article on somewhere else that didn't have a paywall. So that's fundamentally why it failed. I think definitely the smaller news outlets or even the news um, outlets that are recycling news content that a lot of other publishers have out there will probably struggle if they do try and go down that route of asking consumers to pay for it. To end, I have a question for all of you. Categorically, come May 25th, will you stop dropping cookies on people if you don't have their permission? Yes, Your Honour. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we'd have a business if we didn't. Rihanna, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think none of us want any of our clients to come under fire or have that hit of of that fine to be honest so we're going to have to and that brings us to the end of this episode thank you to this episode's guests who bravely tackled this topic chief commercial officer at total media celine satanina senior digital executive at the specialist works rihanna francis and the other owner of silence ollie henderson a massive thanks to bob hoffman for recording extracts from his book especially for this podcast i'm lee henshaw one of the owners of silence media this series was produced by Jesse Lawson from Reduce Listening. Our music is by Super Thriller. In the next episode, we will be talking about bullshit. What is bullshit? Does our industry rely on it? Is it different to lying? <laughs>